Hello, and welcome to the Financial Classroom with Will and Tim, where two friends believe that the American dream is built by living within your means. Listen as we discuss how to build wealth, live frugally, and attack life with a financial plan. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another segment of the Six Figure Millennial. It is always an honor to talk to these people, and it's always such a pleasure to have people come on and share their success story. Like always, I'm your host, Will, and with me on the other side of the mic is Tim. Hi, everyone. It's uh, great to be back. We're here today with another six-figure millennial, and these conversations are just always so inspiring to me, and I'm sure they are for you as well. And today, I'm just really excited to hear the story of Christiane. Uh, Welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Christiane. So Christiane is impressive. She hit the $100,000 six-figure net worth at the age of 32 and has significantly increased her net worth since then. And so Christiane, would you just like to give a quick breakdown of your net worth and your breakdown of how that's going before we go into your story? Sure. So right now I'm just shy of about 400,000, depending if it's a good or bad day on the market right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's been good actually lately. So that's great. And then uh, me and my husband, we've pretty much have our finances together. So between the two of us and uh, pensions, investments and everything, savings, we are are about 1 million and 1.1 million. Wow. Congratulations. And how old are you and you and your husband? Sorry, you said you're you're 35 and how old is your husband? Uh, My husband's 44 and I'm 35. That's still very impressive. 1.1 million. That's awesome. (laughs) You guys are clearly doing amazing. And I'm sure that that this situation just didn't plop itself on you. I'm sure that there's quite a backstory to this. Would you mind sharing a little bit about your story, how you were raised maybe in terms of finances, things that happened along the way, education, the whole shebang? (laughs) (laughs) Big question. Yeah. So for myself, raised pretty traditionally, uh, my mom was definitely kind of... uh, She's the one who writes every transaction in her checking book. She still does it to this day. Even with online baking, she still has to write it in. My husband, he comes from a single parent family. Uh, His mom was uh, really good at budgeting, especially with two young kids. So we both grew up, you know, knowing the value of money. I do have to say my 20s were really rough. I think most people are, you know, you, you become, you know, an adult, you're 18, you go out, you have fun, you spend money, you go to school. I went to university. I took a a little bit longer than most people because I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Ended up taking me about five, six years for a traditional four-year bachelor degree. Mm-hmm. And I got into a lot of debt with school, like between student loans. And at the time I had credit cards because banks are more than happy to give an 18 year old credit cards. And so I ended up actually racking up about $83,000 of debt. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And that was really really hard. And it was a big wake up call for me. You know, I felt literally like I was drowning in debt. I have to say like my biggest, if I were to fangirl over someone in finance, it would be Gail Oxlade. She used to have this TV show called Till Debt Do Us Part. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it or not. So she had these money jars. So you'd put, you know, you'd pay your bills and then you'd put the rest of the money for groceries, going out, pet food, et cetera, in these jars. So I started doing that, started digging myself out of this hole. That's about the time when I met my future husband, Jeff. (laughs) And I told him about my dad. I was 
horribly ashamed. You know, money is so taboo to talk about, mm-hmm. especially debt. So when we moved in, I told him like, man, I owe like 80,000 <laughs> and I'm doing these jars. And he was totally on board with it. That's when you know um, he's the right one here and run away with 80K in the, in the whole I know. So fast forward a few years, you know, I managed to pay off my debt. I became a part-time yoga instructor as well. So I had a full-time government job, taught yoga at night. So I brought in extra income to really pay down our debt. And as well, we had, um, my husband decided to keep his house when we bought our house together when we got married. And we used it as a rental property. So we started accumulating wealth right there um, through rental property, through our primary residence. Once I started paying down my debt aggressively, like I was putting about 50, 60% of my paycheck straight to debt. So as soon as my debt was paid off, what I did is instead of, you know, usually you're like, hey, I'm debt free. I'm going to go buy a car or something. I just started throwing all that into my investment. And guess that's how we ended up where we are. So at 32 years old, you hit $100,000. How old were you when you became debt free? Probably around the same time, actually, to be honest, it's somewhere in the middle there. I was like, man, I was trying to figure it out. I had no clue that I actually had about $100,000 because I had a good pension at work. I had previous pension that I had thrown into a Lira. Mm -hmm. And just money with both properties. So it was kind of like I paid off my debt and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, I already have money in. It just wasn't cash. It wasn't in my investments accounts. So mm-hmm. I might've been a bit earlier than that. I uh, It just happened. It's very weird. <laughs> You're richer than you think. <laughs> <laughs> and at what age did you, you mentioned that 83,000 is kind of the peak of your debt at what age was that 27 28 so i managed to pay okay. it off all of it in about four years yeah so that's impressive what are some tips or what are some things you, you mentioned the jar what are some lifestyle changer or things that you did to pay off 83 80 plus thousand dollars in four years i think it's living within your means you know we're so used to using everything on credit cards so i stopped using my credit cards and paid cash and i It was also, you know, it's what do I need versus what do I want? Mm -hmm. That was really important for me. It's an important lesson. I still love going window shopping. I look, you know, you go to the mall and you're like, ooh, that's a nice pair of shoes or a nice dress. And then I was thinking to myself, okay, let's be realistic. When am I going to wear this? How often am I going to wear it? You know, when we finally moved abroad, you know, I still found stuff in my closet that had price tags on it. I was like, oh my God, I've so stupid with my money. Um, <laughs> impulse. Yeah, impulse. So now it's more, you know, if I'm going to buy something, it's I think more utilitarian, you know, it has to have a purpose and a use. So small changes like that. I also, you know, started doing things like price matching. That's a big one for us, price matching, uh, pricing code of conduct or something like that. So you go to the grocery store, something doesn't scan right. You get it for free if it's under 10 bucks. So we just started adding small little tips, figuring out what we want to spend our money on and where we can save. And that made a huge difference. So you mentioned that with credit cards, that was one of the big turning points was you just said no more credit cards. I'm paying for things in cash. Did you feel like there is any kind of mental block in terms of, I know a lot of people 
will use their credit cards because they get points or cash back or things like that. Did, was there a mental block there at all? Or did you find that pretty easy to overcome? No, it's, it's hard, especially when your bank account's constantly in the red <laughs> to get it into the green and, you know, get rid of like, I even had a um, overdraft protection, things like that. So I got rid of all that. I find if you're going to have a credit card, especially for points, like I do now, you have to be extremely disciplined. You know, I had to show myself that I could live off of cash. I could live off my debit card, track my expenses before I could go back to a credit card. Um, so if, you know, if you can't, if you're spending money on your credit card that you don't have cash right then on the spot, I don't recommend credit cards, you know, unless the money is in your account and you transfer it, you know, it's It's, just not worth that risk of becoming in, you know, getting into debt. Yeah. It's cool. Cause I think those exact words came out of, uh, Tim and I mouth before in uh, episode the second episode when we just talked about credit cards, it, it is true that if you can't handle your credit cards or you can't, if you impulse purchase all the time, don't get a credit card. It's a helpful tool in the hands of the right person. But if if your mindset doesn't work with credit cards, then there are people or even just times in people's lives that it's best to stay away from credit cards. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So if we talk about your net worth now, your, your $400,000 uh, plus what, how is it broken down? How, how are the, how is it allocated? So like I, I have my RSPs, TFSAs. So I have, oh my God, I have so many accounts. It's ridiculous from pensions, <laughs> like locked into retirement <laughs> accounts, locked into RSPs, margin yeah. account. Um, so I do my, my investing a little bit differently. I guess than most people, a lot of people, especially in the choose FI community, they're you know, they're, oh, all VGRO and VUN and, you know, all this. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't uh, allocate, I guess, um, my portfolio based on specific funds. I do it based on sectors. Um, Mm -hmm. So I like to have a certain percentage in REITs, a certain percentage in banking, financials, utilities, things like that. So I have a pretty balanced portfolio. So I kind of, you know, I'm like, okay, I don't want more than 20% to be invested in financials. I really like utilities. They've performed really well. Then I have some REITs as well. So I like to diversify based on sectors. It seems to be working well so far for us. So I think I'm going to stick with it for now. Are you self-directed or do you use an advisor or? Uh, Completely self-directed and yeah, cross trade. Yeah. So, and then, so is any of that tied up in residents? I mean, in houses or, or anything like that? With your um, personal net worth, I mean, you say you and your husband combined together, you have over a million dollars, 1.1 million. So is any of yours tied up in any houses or vehicles or any of that? Or, or are you just counting straight cash slash investments? So we sold everything um, this spring, actually right before the pandemic hit, we sold our house. Wow. Uh, we sold, we sold a rental property when we, yeah, we, we moved out in June of our place in Ottawa. We sold everything, our car, all our possessions, furniture, house, everything was gone. <laughs> um, so it is <laughs> straight up just in our investments, um, pension as well. Yeah, that's it. So no, <laughs> you guys literally have $1.1 million basically in cash. That's crazy. Yeah, mine is pension. My husband has a pension, so yeah. that's worth a nice little chunk there. But 
Yeah. And then we own uh, four pieces of luggage and two cats and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) For, for listeners out there who don't know, um, currently Christiane is in Greece and it is currently almost 2 a.m. there. And she is talking to us doing this interview. So we just want to say how amazing that is and that you guys are traveling and you've sold everything and you've really reached fire. You're able to travel and enjoy the world even during a crazy time, like during (laughs) COVID-19. Yeah, not an ideal time to travel, but but we're lucky enough to be in Greece right now. Yeah. So during the time that you left school, joined the workforce right up till when you quit your job and left the country, um, what was your salary range during that time? So near the end, I was, God, full-time job, probably around 85 and then teaching yoga part-time about 10,000. So my last year was about 90, 95,000. So it, but it was slow, trust me. <laughs> when I moved uh, to Ottawa about seven years ago, I was in Alberta actually for a long time and money was good back then. Um, so I did take a pay cut going to Ontario and I was only making about 50,000 at the time. I really ramped things up and then got side gig as well to be able to make about 95 a year. So really you did this total 180 of your finances without even making a full six figure salary. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need a six figure salary. I always say, you know, there's that old saying a penny saved is a penny earned. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, the more you can save, you know, you don't need to make that much if you can save the bulk of it. Because you can make six figures and spend it all. And you're not going to be any further ahead than someone who's saving more and making less. I love that because it is, I mean, income does help. But if you're making, like you said, $500,000 and you're spending $500,000, you're at $0 at the end of the year. So it's it's not like you're saving anything. And at, yeah, it's just things that you're buying all materialistic that just goes to waste down the road. So it's, uh, I love that. And so you mentioned earlier that you racked up 80,000 plus of debt, student loans and credit card. So you must have some funny stories or biggest mistakes that uh, you made financially. What are some of the stories that you can think of or come up with? Stupid mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I know there's funny stories. They're all, I think, pretty sad. (laughs) Like, is there a purchase that you're just like, man, I can't believe that I bought that. Oh, God. Something like that. Or like a finance or something like we have people that come on that's finance couches or beds or like things like that, which they're just like knocking themselves in the head kind of thing and just can't believe they did such a thing. No, I, I, I leave those dumb finance, those dumb purchases to my husband. <laughs> he's, he's, I'm uh, actually I'm pretty good. Um, I'm, I'm not a big Perch, like I don't make big purchases. So mm. usually when I make little boo-boos, I guess, or, you know, some small mm. financial mistakes, they're, they're pretty small. So your little uh, boo-boos added up to $80,000, a lot of lattes at Starbucks. I think, uh, like definitely school. I actually, I actually stopped university after a couple of years and then ended up going back as an adult and finishing my degree. And that was the best decision I've ever made. I find when you're 18, you kind of feel this pressure to go to school and have a career. And you you don't know what you want when you're 18. I didn't really figure it out until I was in my mid-20s. And then I went back to school and finished my degree, which was so worth it. But those first few years, you know, spending all that student loan money, 
it was so much harder to pay back than it was to spend it. And to be honest, I probably spent a lot of it at the bar when I was 18. I feel loan money. It's definitely my drinking fund. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was a huge mistake. Opening a joint account with a boyfriend. Don't do Ooh. that. Don't ever. Ouch. Yeah. In a previous relationship, yeah, there was overdraft protection and as a few thousand. And when he left, I got stuck with the bill. So yeah, those are some <laughs> some bad mistakes for sure. Yeah. And you know what? I now that I've been investing a few years, I started you get these instincts. Like there's certain things I look back in my investing and I'm like, oh man, I wish I could could get a redo. We invested, of course, in the cannabis sector before it became legal in Canada. My husband was like, I'm gonna sell before legalization. And I'm like, I'm gonna hold. It's gonna do great. I'm gonna hold long. Yeah, I lost about 80%. (laughs) So that was about uh, a $20,000 hit that I took. Wow. Um, Yeah. So that never recovered. I'm still holding. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe one day. (laughs) Yeah. And then there's other stocks that I'm like, man, I remember Shopify uh, IPO'd back in, what was it, 2015. It was actually a company I wanted to work for. I had opportunities throughout the years to buy it at like $30 at $200, even like recently at $400. And now it's around $1,400, So there's certain stocks like that, that I look back and I'm like, man, I should have followed my gut and bought. I did my research. Like I I really did my research. So uh, yeah, some costly mistakes, but uh, you know, I look back and I'm like, there's things that are going to cost you money. You're going to fall on some bad times and then you're going to get lucky. So it evens out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So it sounds like you and your husband, you work pretty well together with money is kind of what it sounds like. Has that always been the case with you guys? Yeah. When I moved in with Jeff, like he got on board with the whole money jars and he actually was able to track his spending more and put more like he was already putting some money aside in his RSPs, TFSAs, things like that, but not a whole lot, like, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month kind of thing. And so once he started following the jars, all of a sudden he wasn't spending as much and he started putting a double, triple the money into his investments. And he was really supportive with me, you know, encouraging me to pay off my debt yeah, we were always on the same page. I got really lucky, to be honest. <laughs> Someone else um, who I guess has the same financial values as I do. And as, it's actually because of him that we found fire. A few years ago, like we, we were paying off her debt. I was following Gail's plan, her budget, you know, everything was going well. And we read an article on CBC, found it and sent it to me about Canada's youngest retirees. So they're the authors of Millennial Revolution. And so he sent it to me and he's like, you got to read this. So I read it and we started following their investment uh, workshop. And that really got us into, you know, we moved away from having financial advisors and stuff like that to going self-directed and really starting to accumulate our wealth. So it's big thanks to them as well that we are where we are today. Yeah, so obviously education and reading books and uh, maybe listening to different podcasts or watching different YouTube videos or that's obviously something that you have done is my yes. my, my understanding. 
So if that's super important, if, if there are advice for young people right now who are trying to succeed financially, what would you tell them or what would you say to them? Like my biggest thing that I always tell people is no one's coming to save you, princess. <laughs> you got to do it yourself. You know, you have to take responsibility of your finances. No one's going to bail you out all the time and no one's going to care about you or your finances more than yourself. Mm -hmm. um, so it's so important that, you know, you take a look at your finances, see where you're at, you know, set a goal of where you want to be and you work hard at it. Um, you know, I put my nose to the grindstone for years and I really didn't like my full-time job, to be honest. <laughs> I didn't like it, but I knew where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. I wanted to have financial freedom to, you know, do whatever I wanted. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to save my money and I'm going to look after myself. So that's like one of the biggest things is don't depend on anyone, not your family, not the government, nobody. You got to start looking after yourself and get your finances in order. For sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got your finances in order. You're doing great. You're fire. What are you looking forward to, you know, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road? What are some of your long-term goals? Oh God, I got so many goals. <laughs> That's good. Now, uh, now that I have time, you know, I, I find myself especially because of the pandemic and here in Greece, we're in lockdown. It's already been a month and it's been extended. So we're kind of stuck indoors all the time. So I'm bored. So I'm looking at things to do and I have so many interests. Um, <laughs> Short term, uh, definitely want to get my yoga videos up and running on YouTube. Keeps me connected to to my former students and hopefully to new people. I also want to write a cookbook. Um, oh, cool. I, uh, I've been gluten free for about ten years now, and we've traveled. Uh, we've traveled almost across the world now. <laughs> so I've picked up recipes as from all of our travels. And made them gluten-free. So I want to write a cookbook about that. And the big dream is we actually want to open up like a and b in probably five oh, cool. to 10 years, somewhere like that, where um, I can do yoga retreats and teacher training. And my husband is uh, taking his course to become a scuba instructor. Um, so his job will be, you know, bring people from the airport to the B&B and take them out scuba diving. And yeah. Nice, simple, quiet life. That's awesome. Where would you want to settle down? Do you know in Greece or back in Canada or still? Probably not back in Canada. Okay. <laughs> <Too cold. laughs> Fair enough. Um, so we're checking out Greece. We're going to be here for probably a couple of years. There's 3,500 islands in Greece. Wow. Um, so not all of them are inhabited, but uh, a fair few. So we're going to spend some time looking around. Um, we spent a month in Portugal and absolutely loved it. The food there is fantastic. The weather, the beaches are amazing. So we're probably going to spend a bit of time there. I don't know about Asia. It's a little far, but uh, we've been to Asia and we fell in love. We can't wait to go back. Um, so we haven't settled down on a place yet. I guess we're going to wait till we find that place where we just don't want to leave and <laughs> settle down. And you can do that because you're fire, right? Like <laughs> you're 35 years old and you've got the whole world in front of you. Every opportunity open to you. Yeah. And lots of time to do it. <laughs> yeah. 
this is exactly what people in the fire community are trying to achieve, right? You didn't really love your job. So you decided to just sell everything you had enough saved up and you could just pick up and go. And instead of now slaving away for the next 10, 15, 20 years still at a job and retiring at 55 or 65, now you've saved up, you've invested early and you can now travel and go to Portugal, go to Greece, go to Asia, go to all these different places and enjoy the world. And it's absolutely incredible that you're able to do that. And it's just a little sacrifice here and there early on in life and living, like, as you mentioned earlier, living within your means. And now look at how, what you guys are doing. And you have all these dreams that you can potentially and try and achieve down the road and do things that you love, like yoga. And I think there's a big misconception as well, like especially in the fire community or people outside of the fire community, I should say, you know, that we live like poppers and that we dumpster dive and that we're so frugal and cheap. And it's not at all. Um, I find it's, it's finding that balance, you know, spending money on what's important to us, uh, saving money wherever we can and, you know, saving some for the future, there was some sacrifice. Absolutely. But we still, you know, spent money. We still went out for dinner. We still had the odd trip here and there, maybe not every year, you know, but by saving that little bit and just tightening up our, our budget for a few years, we managed to get to the point where we're at today. Just one thing that I wanted to, uh, yeah, just point out too, is that, yeah, you mentioned that you went from being in debt to 400k net worth in just a matter of years from 28 years old to 35 years old, I believe. Yeah, you just busted your butt for a few years and, you know, lived within your means just because of doing that for less than 10 years, really. Now you're able to meet these dreams. You're able to pursue these goals. You're able to do some things that you've always wanted to do. You're able to dream. And I just think that's awesome. And just one question that I wanted to ask you just to, do you have any advice for married couples in in terms of how they can handle their finances well together? Oh God. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm like, I'm all corny jokes and sayings tonight, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) that's great. That's great. Teamwork makes the dream work. I think, you know, being on the same page financially is really important. You don't have to agree on everything. Like my husband will go to a Dollarama, right? And he will look at something and it's like, oh, this one's $2 and this one's $3. And he'll him and ha about it for five minutes. And he's like, oh, do we really need it? And it's $2. I will go to the dollar store and, you know, buy three bags and be like, look, I brought all this home for 30 bucks. But then he'll go out and be like, look, here's a car. You know, it's 10,000 and he won't have a problem spending it versus me. Big purchases give me anxiety. Um, so... <laughs> different spending styles for sure. But I think if you have the same goal and you know that, you know, I want to retire or, you know, I want to have some kind of safety, you know, financial security. And, you know, you don't have one person who's spending frivolously versus the other one's like frugal. You got to find that nice medium point and work together or else it's a lot of stress. You know, uh, finances is one of the main reasons why couples get divorced. Um, So if you can get on the same page, if you're single and looking and (laughs) find a potential mate, find someone (laughs) who's on the same page financially, it'll really help. Yeah. And just talking about finances, being open with each other as well. Um, 
it was hard to tell Jeff, my then boyfriend that I moved in with that I had, you know, $83,000 of debt. It was scary. It was hard, but I did it and I took full responsibility of my debt and we set a goal together and here we are in Greece now. You know, Christian, I, I love that because the number one cause for a lot of marriages to fall apart is because of finances. And the fact that you were able to be so honest right in the beginning, it shows that you were willing to talk about finances with him. And like you mentioned earlier, the, the talk of money is very taboo among especially North Americans, I find. And so if people don't talk about money within their families, for example, in your case, if you went into that relationship and you hid that from him, like, can you imagine like if you dated for a year or two, or if you guys decide to get married or, or whatnot, and then all of a sudden he finds out that you have this $83,000 in debt, like that could cost a lot of mistrust and a lot of fights down the road. So being that open right off the bat really just saved you guys a lot of headaches down the road too. So I think it's just awesome that you, your advice to other couples is to just, just talk finances, be open with one another. Absolutely. Yeah. So we are going to move on to a quick game here, Christiane. It's uh, it's pretty new. Uh, we've done it with another guest already. It's called Break the Piggy Bank. And so what's going to happen is you're going to take your hammer and smash a piggy bank that you have with, with allowance in there and money in there that you've saved. And if we were to ask you to smash your piggy bank and break the piggy bank, Give us your top five ethnic dishes as someone who's traveled all over the place. What would you spend your piggy bank money on? Oh, man. (laughs) We put you on the spot. I don't have a piggy bank. (laughs) (laughs) Top foods. Top five ethnic dishes. Different international dishes. Um, I love chicharrones. Uh, you're gonna have to explain pork. explain what that is <laughs> it's uh fried pork rinds um so if you go to central south america you might even be able to get them in mexico it's basically uh pork rinds that have been deep fried like for 24 hours and they're oh. super crunchy and fatty uh really high in calories but so good is that number one? <laughs> oh. um probably <laughs> number four uh, four or five. Okay. Um, oh my God. Top foods, eh? I'm trying to think. I love Vietnamese food. It's probably my favorite. I also love um, Vietnamese I actually food. took cooking classes when I went to Vietnam. So I would definitely have to say spring rolls. Like cool. the real ones with uh, <laughs> rice flour wrappers and okay. the right filling. Um, they also make these little, I'd have to find the name, but there are these little crates. They're made out of rice flour and they steam it. I think it's like banguan, banquan or something like that. And then they put in woodier mushrooms and pork in it. And it's, mm. it's a crepe made out of rice flour. And then cool. they top it with deep fried, uh, onions and you dip it in fish sauce. Yeah. I like deep fried foods. <laughs> <laughs> so most human beings. Uh, those are definitely like my top foods for sure is, is just Vietnamese food in general. I don't think I've tasted a single dish that I didn't like when I was yeah. there. I had some amazing lamb when I was in the Middle East. It was actually mm. Indian food, but uh, mm. some nice lamb curries. Lamb is definitely like up there. 
mm-hmm. number two. Awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I'm trying to think, I'm like, oh my God, there's That's so like many four, dishes. I think. That's like four you mentioned. I need like one more. Um, okay. When I was in Portugal, I went to this little mom and pop shop in Costa da Caprica. It's like one of the craziest beaches. It's so long. And I found this little restaurant and it was sea bream. Like I'm not a fish person at all. <laughs> and it was amazing. They put it in this, just this big rock salt and spices. And then they put the whole fish on this charcoal grill. And wow. literally they serve you the whole fish there. That was spot on. It was excellent. That's cool. That's that sounds awesome. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I, I think it's so cool to talk to someone who has traveled to a lot of places because I think food is something that you really have to try when you go to different countries instead of just going to McDonald's at different countries. So. <laughs> you know what? I won't lie. When I was in Lisbon, so being gluten-free, there's no McDonald's, right? But in certain countries in Europe, they have gluten-free options at McDonald's. No so way. I went to McDonald's in Lisbon and it was the first time I've had McDonald's in over a decade since I've been diagnosed with celiacs. And it was amazing. <laughs> I had a <laughs> Oh my God. It's like, where do you want to eat? I'm like, McDonald's. <laughs> and it was, oh my God, it was bliss. <laughs> oh man. So now you're probably looking forward to that next trip to Lisbon uh, once COVID's over. <laughs> absolutely (laughs) just to go to mcdonald's Um, yep (laughs) well that's great um thank you so much for sharing with us today about you know your favorite international dishes but also about yeah just your journey from yeah being in debt from credit cards student loans to yeah achieving fire and i just want our listeners to be able to take away from this that if you think you're too far gone you're probably not. Yeah. I mean, you turned it around, like completely turned it around in a matter of eight years. And so, yeah, just some hard work, some frugality. Yeah. And just really wise financial decisions. They can make such a huge difference and they can have you right back on track in just a matter of years. Yeah. I agree with what Tim said there, Christian. It's been a pleasure talking to you and we're always blown away by people's willingness to come on and be open about their finances. Cause a lot of times finances are, it's a very personal topic and it's a personal thing. And for you to come on and, and share with us and be open and be up at 2:30 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> 2:30 a.m. <laughs> it's it's absolutely incredible and we we really appreciate that and yeah you've been you've been such a wonderful guest to have and you're really knowledgeable and you you are I think you have the most debt out of our our guests so far that's completely turned it around and you have one of the highest net worth like between you and your husband combined together as a seven figure kind of combined together and and that's an incredible story so for you guys to be able to do that, it's it's awesome. And it just shows, like Tim mentioned, shows other people that it is possible to turn around right away and become successful down the road. So yeah, once again, it was a pleasure talking to, to you and to all Six Figure Millennials. And like always, if you're a guest or if you're a listener and you want to come on, just feel free to message us or email us at thefinancialclassroom at gmail.com and find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook at The Financial Classroom. And other than that, and Twitter, yes. (laughs) 
I always forget about Twitter. The Financial Classroom. Yeah, other than that, thank you guys so much for tuning in. And until next time, take care. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more episodes and financial tips, check out our Facebook page, The Financial Classroom. And if you like this podcast, feel free to subscribe and leave us a review on our various podcast platforms. Later.